0: <laughs>
1: old man doing a podcast real weirdos we have english degrees real weirdos we talk about movies for way too goddamn long what up my boyos what up I oh, hold on i need to turn off the ac because
2: it's picking up on the mic
1: okay you do that you turn off your air conditioning on this 95 degree day in northern california actually it's not too bad it's like 85 really and it's it's cloudy because there's just so much smoke coming over the hills from tahoe i would assume
3: yeah you guys are dealing with that smoke see there's nothing here in la blocking the sun it's just breaking
1: down on me you were at a wedding for like three days in 105 degree heat in a suit (sighs) yeah i was how was that we (laughs) jeff and i heard a little bit about it what wedding
2: is three days yeah right
1: good ones man like fly fly down
2: see the dumb fucking ceremony and fly away i mean what the (laughs) fuck
3: so i was in the wedding so i had to like do like the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner but i'm with you jeff something is (laughs) like even for bachelor parties why are they like five day extravaganzas i thought it was always supposed to be a night right and it's, know. They're, they're turning into these fucking
2: giant, like, how do people have the fucking stamina? I know. Like, I just like, how do you have the stamina to like, just drink and party for five days?
1: Jesus Christ. Oh, it's great. <laughs> <I understand. laughs> the best wedding I ever went to was out in the countryside outside of Berlin. And it was like at this beautiful farmhouse. And like, we stayed there for three days and just like had a beautiful time. It was fantastic, but but yeah, I think like most weddings, I'd be pretty over it after the ceremony, but I don't know, it depends on the, the clientele, depends on the vibe, the general vibe. Yeah. Because this wasn't like your golf course wedding, it was like a bunch of rad people on a farm outside of Berlin, and it's just like awesome food, just chilling. I met this awesome Finnish lady. Nice. Uh, shout out to Anna. Ended <laughs> up visiting her in Finland. <laughs> A couple of weeks later. Uh, yeah, it was great. But it wasn't 105 degree heat in LA. It was yeah. in a farmhouse outside of Berlin. So
3: I was actually in Riverside County, which is, if you can imagine, just oh, even slightly better. worse than LA. Um, I'm a sweater naturally. Like, I just run hot. I think I'm sweating right now. I haven't checked my shirt, but I just sweat all the time. And it was not fun being in a suit. So yeah, other than that it was pretty uneventful.
1: Were you drunk the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. I actually <laughs> uh,
3: I got a little too drunk like during the actual ceremony. We kept doing like toasts to the groom right before. And uh I was a little I was a little like forgetful when I was up up in front of every everyone. Like I don't remember too much what happened. And then I had to leave during one of the speeches because I needed to, like, you know the movie thing where, like, the main character goes into the bathroom, locks the door, it, like, splashes water on his face, Cries, and yeah. then just mm-hmm. looks at himself in the mirror for a second? I, I actually had to do that. I had to, like, pull one of those. And That's like, well,
1: because you're the main character, man. You don't know I, it. Or maybe I you guess. do. Hard protagonist. The protagonist. <laughs> the protagonist the, <laughs> yeah. protagonist. the real protagonist.
2: What if Alex was the protagonist to life? <laughs> like of all, all all of this reality, all of everything that exists, like Alex was the protagonist, and we were like, people every, that everybody's a side existed. character. You have Shakespeare.
3: There
1: are so many people out there who think that they're the protagonist in this world, and it's like, no no no. You don't even understand. <laughs> none <laughs> of us none of us are the protagonists. We're just these <laughs> like I'm the most side of side characters. I, I learned this long ago.
2: I'm the character, like, in the in the RPG that, like, glitches out in the corner and then, like, gets hit by a car and then, like, that's foot, like, goes, like, rubber bands and I, like, nothing works. <laughs> like, that's the character I am. The one who's, like, clipped into the ground with his waist in and is just, like, walking around trying to give you quests. Like, that's me. Just, like, fucked and still trying to do my job.
3: I could see, like, whole Reddit forums dedicated to figuring out the Jeff bug
2: in video games that's that's me
3: what <laughs> i'd be
1: i'd be like some guy you'd meet for like a night who just tells you a cool tale and then you never think about him again i don't know maybe <laughs> i don't know
3: Maybe. i mean i don't know what you guys are talking about because i am 100 percent the main character well yeah that's, that's what we're what, saying that's what we're saying, <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> what we're saying.
2: Well, he's you're not a very smart main character apparently yeah <laughs> i watched yeah. enough anime got a low intelligence score main character uh, you put everything into charisma so <laughs> we're
1: talking about the Green Knight eventually. Uh, <laughs> we green, saw it. We're talking about the Jolly Green Giant. Um, but I have a few book <laughs> reports to make first. Oh, Dad! Let's gonna fold them in later. The recommendations, but whatever. Let's do them now. Okay. They, <laughs> Let's do it. One em. of them is like clearing the air a little bit. I kind of made fun of Zombie Land a few weeks ago. I said I don't remember it being very good, and so Adam was like. You should see it again. It's great. It's almost as good as Shaun of the Dead. And I was like, "Okay, challenge accepted." Cuz I fucking love Shaun of the Dead. That movie's brilliant.
2: Oh, it's I mean, zombie perfection.
1: And so I watched it, and it's not bad. Zombieland is not bad. It's uh it's kind of hollow fluff. It had made me chuckle a few times. I loved it when Bill Murray showed up as a zombie. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Um, but other than that, I just, yeah, it was fun. I would not in any way say that it's as good as Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. There's no fucking way. Yeah.
2: You can't, that's not even, they're not even comparable. Like Shaun of the Dead is a perfect zombie movie.
1: Shaun of the Dead has an amazing style. Like it's really good filmmaking. It has a lot of heart. It has like genuine, genuine humanity and like brotherhood elements to it whereas Zombieland is like just a fun ride with some fun lines and some kind of fun characters one of the things that that bugged me when i was watching it and i know it's a comedy blah 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 but i was like so it's it's far enough into the zombie apocalypse where almost nobody's left but the electricity is still on hmm that's weird and then like the the climax takes place at this amusement amusement park and the characters are so dumb that they think that turning on this entire amusement park is not going to attract like a zombie apocalypse onto them, which of course it does. And there are these moments where the girls go up to like, I don't know well h- how well <laughs> you guys remember this movie, uh-huh. but they go to like the rides and they're just like in a ride and it's like moving. And then in another shot, they'll be off the ride. And I'm like, who's operating these rides? Like I've been... I've been to these carnivals before. I know you can't stop and start the ride from inside the ride.
2: I think it's probably like an idea of like it's on just like a timer. You know, it just like does one revolution and then stops. Mm, you know? Maybe. I mean, I, you know, when I watch Zombieland, the uh, intricacies of the amusement park power uh, system were definitely <laughs> not in the forefront of my mind. But, I mean, it's, a, it's a
1: solid point. I was also thinking about it. In script writing terms, right? Because it starts off with all of these rules. Jesse Eisenberg has all of these rules and how to survive a zombie apocalypse. And I was like, okay, the movie is going to use those in a really clever way as its finish. You know, where it's like, oh, he has to use all these different rules and the the new rules that he picked up along the way in order to do this complex, cool thing. But none of that happens. And I was like, oh, I guess those rules are just kind of there.
2: No, you're just there because it's, like, fun to have zombie rules.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's my book report. It was fun. I, I definitely think it's not a bad movie. But Shaun of the Dead level, no, nah, my son. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a decent piece of candy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: My other book report. Oh, Yeah. Oh, man. Because we've been talking about Guy Ritchie mm-hmm. and I started my Odyssey. Oh, so I'm excited about I'm gonna, this. I'm going to try to have one of these every episode or every couple episodes, depending on how close together we film them. Film them? Uh, record them? Yep, That's there the you word. Go. There you go. I got there eventually. Old man brain. <laughs> um, so I watched Guy Ritchie's 2005 film, Revolver, the one he did after Snatch. Well, after Swept Away. Specifically, but I'm not watching that shit. I'm not watching, a, <laughs> not watching a romance movie starring Madonna. So, Revolver is one of the worst fucking movies I've ever seen. I'm so
2: happy you think this.
1: Yeah, so happy you. Do, think I this. I mean, do you do you agree, Jeff?
2: Oh, it's it's the worst Guy Ritchie movie by far. I'm, I'm sure Swept Away is better, but um, okay. I don't think it's the worst movie. No, no. In the Name of the King is the worst movie ever. Um, but the yeah. Well it's- they're
1: both they're both uh part of the Jason Statham and Ray Liotta cinematic universe. That's true.
2: Jesus That's
1: true. And Ray okay. Liotta is just as bad, if not worse, in Revolver. <laughs> oh god, he's as terrible as he is in In the Name of the King. He's fucking terrible. The whole movie is terrible. It made me so angry. It's um it has a level of conceit in in the way that it thinks it's being like intelligent. And witty. And I don't know. It all completely fell flat. I didn't care about anything. The movie was garish. And hideous. Badly filmed. It's possibly some of the worst editing I've ever, ever, ever seen. Um, He couldn't even work the focus on the camera. It's just like this shallow focus that was nauseating. The color palette made me feel sick. And the script made me want... To to murder the movie,
0: yeah,
2: it was Guy Ritchie. It was Guy Ritchie doing his absolute worst Guy Ritchie impression.
1: Yeah, it's weird. You can kind of tell that it's his style, but it's like devoid of any character or substance or in, anything interesting. It just made me angry.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a flop for sure as far as his film. Are. And, but it's what's funny and interesting about that film is that then it's followed by Rock and Rolla, which is such like a charming like, almost like, funny ensemble movie. Like, like he, like kind of like what he was he's famous for. But, I don't know. It's it's such a better film than Revolver. And it's such a, it's such a good film to then all of a sudden follow Revolver. I don't know. It It makes me so interested in the production of Revolver. Because it's like, how does a, how does a director miss that bad and then go right away and make something pretty decent right afterwards? Like, I just in his own in his own style. Like directors do that all the time, but within their own style is so strange to me.
1: Have you seen this movie Alex? Rock and Roller? Yeah.
3: I... No, 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 Revolver. We're not No, no, uh... no, no.
1: Yeah. No, okay. No, you not have not. Okay. It. Yeah, I don't know. I finished it and like I'm willing to give Guy Ritchie the benefit of the doubt. I fucking love Snatch and Lockstock and I was like I'm I had no you know, illusions going in. I'd heard it wasn't great. But I was not prepared for a movie that I put on the level of, like, some of the worst things I've ever seen. It's, like, in my mental checklist with things like funny games, Transformers movies, um, The Amazing Spider-Man 2.
2: I like how you had to make
1: a point to
2: say all the Transformers movies. (laughs) Like, you started with the Transformers, and then you were like, movies must be clear. (laughs) The whole cinematic universe is dog shit.
1: To be fair, I've only seen the first two. I was done after that. Oh my god, that's so funny.
2: Just like, I gotta make sure I go back. It wouldn't be Jesse if I didn't make sure that you knew
0: that all the Transformers (laughs) is terrible. That's true.
1: I want you to, see, that's a, like, I don't know if you've noticed in this podcast yet, but I'm very interested in making sure you know what my opinions are about movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, so weird. That's
2: why we're here. Almost. I know. It's almost like we decided to do this.
1: Yeah. It's Holy almost like I'm really, shit. really passionate about it and, and vaguely knowledgeable. <laughs> Didn't you have so, one more? Uh, Yeah, but I'm going to save it for the end because oh, that's okay. a legit recommendation.
2: Oh, that's a legit recommendation, folks. You heard it here yeah, first.
1: That's right. Jesus so, Christ.
2: Let's talk about The Green Knight.
1: We're talking about The Green Knight. So, uh little preface. We, we, did, we did make fun of A24 a few weeks ago for releasing this movie in a way that we found kind of scummy.
2: I don't know about make fun. I kind of crucified them a bit, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. They're like, uh, you can watch this movie for one night only on stream at a specific time for $20. And we were like, okay, snack on our balls. Day 24. <laughs> um, but that is nothing against the film or the filmmaker. That is not their decision. And I, I do like David Lowry as a filmmaker, and he seems like a really interesting dude. Um, so I was very interested to see this movie, as all three of us were. So we're still going to cover it, because it seemed awesome. It
2: would be so great if we didn't, if like this whole preamble was just like, so we're not going to cover
0: it. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> <psych>! <laughs> and Still, such the, a still dick the name move. of the episode. Still Tyler <laughs> Green Knight. <laughs> we just
1: like preamble for like thirty more minutes, like the Green Knight. <laughs> oh yeah, it was shit. <laughs> <And> it <just laughs> later, see you next week. But oh, no, um, well, uh, w- what I want to do is get some general thoughts and then talk about a few things before we get to what this movie is about. Sure, that's a big fucking yeah, question. This is a dense so, monster. So, generally speaking, Alex, my boy, how did you feel about the Green Knight?
3: Um wow (laughs) this movie was uh i don't know this movie is like what jeff just said a dense like monster it is uh i don't know if it was my own expectations of it but i thought it was really good i thought it was i don't know it's the first film i think
2: i've seen of the director and i thought it was
3: amazing
1: so jeff you loved it as well um
2: i don't know if i loved this movie I, I'm I'm still unsure I don't wanna
1: put those words. I'm in your still on mouth. the
2: fence about whether I even like this movie. Okay. Um, this is movie is really well told and and and, and absolutely gorgeous. Um, I will say that uh, the story has some something to be desired as far as um, the story beats and how you tell a tale like this really is, is more what I wanna is more what I wanna talk about is like how you tell a tale. Like the Green Knight, and do it justice in the form of a film. That's 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 the crux because you're taking something that is not ever meant for film. You're taking a poem written over a thousand years ago
0: and,
2: and turning it into a story, and it's uh, into a film, and it's 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 very difficult.
1: It is. It's a difficult film, and that's something I want to touch on before we get too far past the introduction. I will say I uh, I loved this movie. Uh, I watched it twice. Um it's up there next to Pig as my favorite movie of the year. But I do agree that after the first viewing I could I could almost sum up my thoughts about it in like uh, um just noises. I was like, "Hmm." <laughs> hmm yeah. Hmm. And then, in, then at the end I'm like, "Huh?" Uh, hmm. I don't really know.
2: (laughs) It's just all contemplative onomatopoeias.
1: Yeah, it took a lot of thought. Um, Talking about Pig, I think, is is a good way to, to start off because that's a movie where if you're expecting a certain thing based on the trailer or the material that's presented to you before you actually see the movie, you could very much think it's a certain type of film and be disappointed when you see that it's not. And this is very similar. Like Pig, if you think that Pig is going to be like a John Wick-style revenge movie, you're going to be disappointed, probably, if you're expecting that, and that's what you want out of it. Similarly, if you want The Green Knight to be like an easily digestible, fun, cohesive adventure movie, fantasy adventure movie, along the lines of like Willow or Lord of the Rings or something, like where where the meanings are very like obvious in a sense Mm -hmm. then this movie is not going to be for you spelled out is a great way of saying it thank you my friend because this movie requires you to do work it requires you to do a lot of mental work in order to glean what's interesting about it and i think that that's why it's had a lot of the critical or the great critical reception but sort of a lower audience thing but this is a movie that's i feel like totally made for me not only have I studied this story in college and written a written a, a thing about it an essay it's called there we go brain <laughs> catching up to, to <laughs> I wrote a sentence I was like about well, it. I was
2: like what did he write about it some kind of like like the opinion piece or like something special like a like a like I wrote a, a poem uh, no no I, I wrote an essay
1: Yeah I wrote an essay that's what it's called Um and I love I love obtuse movies that are also really smart and which I think this one is Mhm I agree I know some people might disagree but I like an obtuse movie where there's so much symbolism and metaphor and just things. There's so many things that like are going on within it that every time you rewatch it or you think about it in a different sort of lateral sense, you can tease more out of it. It's almost like, like reading a really dense and good narrative that grabs you. And as English majors, like we've done this. You know, this is like one of the things that we are trained to do is look at a really dense narrative or a text, whatever the text may be, whether that's a film or a book or whatever, and see all the interesting like things going on in it. And that's why this movie is astonishing to me. And and really it's beautiful as well. Um we could talk about that. This movie's made for 15, $15 million dollars. That's like a quarter of the budget of like an Adam Sandler comedy. That's the cost of the costume that the Green Knight
2: is in. <laughs> like that. I mean, just alone, the practical effects put into that costume that Ralph Innocent is wearing is... is There's the $15 million. Badass. It's, it's a cool cost. It's just absolutely breathtaking.
1: It's, it's one of the best-looking movies I've seen in quite some time.
2: Yeah, I feel like I'm going to... I feel like my opinion of this movie is going to formulate live during this podcast.
1: I I would love it for that, too, because I have a lot of notes about what I think is going on in this film. Yeah. But I just wanted to get, like, a general what I think about it and who should watch it sort of thing. And then talk about how beautiful... The visuals and the sound are. Before we We get into, oh,
2: thank you, Jesse. I, I was like, we have to talk about the soundtrack to this movie before we can even get into it.
1: Please, yeah, I've been talking for ages now. Take it, take the load. Oh man. Okay, so
2: I'm so. All right, so A24. Regardless of what we said about them, this is the first A24 movie that I have seen that has not been directed by Ari Aster. So. It's a little bit of a deviation from that style that I was attributing to this studio for a while. I was almost giving A24 the reputation of like a game studio would have, where like they hold the, the the artistic integrity of the film on their shoulders instead of the director, like it is with film. And I I I pulled myself away from that mentality during this watching. But what I did find is that A24, I do feel like they are a little bit like that. They do have a a vibe and an influence into the the film's creation that goes beyond the director because they just with the witch with Midsummer the sound design the minimalist sound design is so unbelievably breathtaking the fact that and the Green Knight specifically is very little music it's all these like beautiful droning strings and long long held notes of like pianos and lots of string instruments and brass and wind instruments just being like stretched until they're almost breaking the notes. They're vibrating and resonating on such a level. And it it adds this like this monumental earthquake type feel to the movie where where the scenes of him just like walking through an open field have this gravity and this this depth to them and it's all because of this just brilliant sound design in this movie. And
1: the editing. The the editing oh of the movie is phenomenal. And the cinematography,
2: Which, oh it's just yeah. amazing the cinematography. And this movie looks <laughs> and sounds incredible. Alex, what do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. Alex, come on. <laughs> yeah. Come in here.
2: You
3: guys have both just been like gushing about it. I've just been listening. Um I I that's the thing though, is I agree with <laughs> You're you like, guys, what am I gonna like say? Every, <laughs> almost everything you guys have said. Um What I, were,
2: what were moments in the in the movie where the sound really contributed to your like your your involvement, your investment in the plot?
3: Oh, like from the get go. Yeah. Okay. The entire like like you said, the like dissonant soundtrack thing is almost a trademark of A twenty four, and it's also I think it was made popular if we go way back for a second, or not way back, but by There Will Be Blood and Johnny Greenwood's yes. like score where he he started to like it was like, okay, the score is not pretty. You go you go look at the Oscar or the Academy Award winning scores from like the nineties, it's like people like Thomas Newman and fucking Rachel Porter. Well even and, today you
2: have um the guy who does um all the interstellar stuff,
3: Hans Zimmer. Hans
2: Zimmer, you know, like he's the big, like the big guy right now, and he's still doing very musical style. Exactly,
3: and he, he even has taken on like a darker, like soundtrack role rather than something like he did for Pirates of the Caribbean yes. or like The Rock. Right, like it's <laughs> a totally different atmosphere and like world now. And no, this movie though, beyond the music i had to play with the volume setting a lot which wasn't like a bad experience only because there were things that i was like i could hear a little bit and be like wait wait, wait! wait. i want like it to be really loud so at one point i just switched to watching this movie with headphones on Mm. and yeah it it's like almost lynchian people say that a lot but i don't mean it in like oh it's weird and quirky I mean it in that David Lynch is also obsessed with sound, whether it's mundane sound or like actually important dialogue or sound like that. it's he plays with all different levels of like I don't know, yeah, just sound,
2: we, yeah, which is using the music to to represent the feelings of the character in the moment or the feelings of the atmosphere or what's going on. This is a very quiet movie when it's yeah. not loud, if that makes any yeah. sense. It's, yeah. it, there's a lot of whispering and harsh tones and a lot of like low, gravelly whispering. And I watched this movie the second time with subtitles, and I found it to be much more... Um, I got a much more well-rounded experience because I found in the first watch I was kind of the scene like you know where the fox was talking i was like huh what is he saying like uh, <laughs> i kind of had to like rewind it and like listen to it a few times cuz it was just so gravelly and low and um but that adds you know it's it's all intentional it's not i'm not complaining about this it's it's like when someone whispers in order to make you lean in to listen more that's what this movie does with its score. It, it, it gives you just enough to where you start to lean in. Like, I was so skeptical, skeptical when I f- first started watching this movie. I had I was like, okay, we'll see. High fantasy, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And I, I laughed at one point because I, I recognized my body language. I was sitting watching the movie low in with my hand on my chin and the other hand over my mouth.
1: Uh huh. And I'm just that—that that was my
2: like body language the whole movie. And I'm like, and I only realized it about halfway through. And I just started laughing at myself. And I was like, "Well, yep, I guess you're into it, Jeff." Like I remember saying that out loud to myself. <laughs> but uh, Jesse, is there anything as far as the score that like kind of any kind of particular scene?
1: Oh, uh, kind of, I don't know, or just particular
2: I, like chapter, really. I have
3: the one where, I mean, I don't want to like dive too early into the plot but you know the moment where he's tied up yes and like the oh, camera is yes. like panning around in a circle in the forest Amazing
1: mm-hmm. scene.
3: from his beautiful point, shot point.
1: i have other things to say about that shot yeah and then we're you gonna see have the, lot
2: to say about every scene <laughs> this this
1: then
3: you see the skeleton and then it goes back you know <sighs> that whole scene the music and the sound in in that scene like you i think you can hear the forest still through the music and it's like uh, I don't know that scene was intense
1: yes it's It's a very natural soundtrack and that ties into the the whole the themes of the movie which are about death and nature I mean even the even the very first shot unless you guys want to keep talking about the score no, please
2: I mean let's get into it
1: this first shot I was watching this earlier today and I was like okay the first shot of a movie or the first page of a book mean something you know like what's the first sentence what's the first shot and so it has this little barnyard and it has animals animals for nature a building burning in the background to represent some sort of chaos and i didn't even notice this the first time but there's a dude sleeping in the barnyard in the lower left of the frame and yep. so there's like humanity in there. So you have all these elements well, in there. Well, the animals picking at each other,
2: like the geese. Yeah, I loved it. this movie. Started out with a goose being a dick. <laughs> it's just like I just, right. I don't know, there was something about that that was so like real to the real world. It's like, yep, that's yep, goose being a dick to the goat.
1: <laughs> yeah, Oof. and I mean, I mean, I guess a good way to frame this is like to ask you guys broadly. And there's no, there's no like one answer here, which is part of why this movie is so great. Like, what is this movie about? That's my question to you. This movie is about the
2: tenets and virtues that create a good man and a good knight. That chivalry at this point uh, that the movie is to now, of course, as anyone knows, Arthurian myths are myths. They're not true. Arthur didn't exist so-and-so and for and maybe a version of a person like him existed but he was not real so in the Arthurian myths one you always have a very young Arthur but you also have this high view of chivalry that knighthood at its highest degree it, it, the the pinnacle of what it means to be a good man is to be a knight it's what everyone wants to be and that had corroded throughout the end of the medieval era around, uh, around the end of this era that that idea the ideology of chivalry had corroded to the point when now being a knight was just about being in a position of power being a higher caste than your fellow man and so this movie is saying two things it's saying what does it mean to be a knight what are the five virtues of being a knight mm-hmm. and can chivalry exist in a ro- in a world that is corroding
1: okay I have many notes on this, but first, Alex.
2: We're talking about the.
3: Are you ask, You're asking me. I'm like, just
1: asking you what you like. What, what would you say this movie was about to you? Or is that too big a question?
3: No, like, I think it's important the little exchange that he has with his uncle um, about not being able to tell a story. I don't have any mm-hmm. stories yet. Um. Yet and exactly i feel like it's it could be boiled down to something very simple as in like this is how you think life is going to be and you're going to come out with your nice like clean armor and you're going to be a knight you're going to be at all the fancy dinners and everything like that but it's actually kind of shitty like life is not actually that golden gleaming to begin with hmm. um but that's super well, basic yeah. Well, that's so, what I wanted. I yeah, just exactly.
1: wanted a, a sort of broad thing before we deep dive. So one yeah. of the one of the things you mentioned there, Jeff, was the the five knightly virtues, and I had to do a little like I said to you guys. I I read the story again after I watched the movie because I wanted to have a broader perspective on it, and it's a it's kind of an inverse of the tale. Like in the book, Gowan is a virtuous knight who's like won many battles. And he goes through and like embodies the five knightly virtues, which which is a big theme of both stories. But he embodies them to a T until the very end with fellowship when he doesn't give Lord Bertilac the green sash. But in the in the film version, Gowan is a fucking awful knight. And this is the interesting inversion, Oof. is he fails. He fails in all the knightly virtues until the end. He's not a knight. He's a a knight's nephew. Yeah. That's a very different thing. But he's like trying to be a knight. He wants to be a knight. In the way that a
2: child wants to be a knight.
1: Right. But but he's also failing. So he fails in generosity when he gives the kid like a single coin for helping him out. He fails in courtesy when he tries to touch Winifred. Mm -hmm. And she says a knight should know better and then extra fails when he asks her what kind of a reward he'll get for helping instead of just being Uh a knight and helping. He fails fucking very obviously when he cheats on Essel with Lady Mm Bertalac. He first claims that that the token Essel gave him was nothing to do with love. And then in that hilariously erotic scene... um,
2: (laughs) I I mean, props to the
1: prop department. Because that is the most realistic oh, movie semen come I've on ever it. seen. They just had a guy. I mean, come that was some it.
2: legitimately high-quality movie semen.
1: Yeah. Oh, Alex, do you want to describe this scene? We had you. Uh, we had you describe a similar scene starring Philip Seymour Hoffman in another episode. <laughs> oh God, no.
3: <laughs> I'm good. You you can take this okay. one.
1: <laughs> well, she basically jerks him off, and you you can see the cum going into the sash in a really nice, uh, <laughs> sexy, very appetizing shot. Yeah, I mean it. it, um, it I
2: mean it holds. It doesn't hold on it long.
1: No, but it, long it holds on it long to enough it, to scar my brain. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> it's yeah. Like, dude, whoa, okay. He fails. He fails in fellowship when he doesn't give Lord Bertilac yep. the green sash because at the they're like their idea or their game is to I'll give you what I get from the forest and you give me whatever you get at home. So he fails that. Uh-huh. The only moment, um, I mean. It's an interesting turn on the hero's journey, right? Because Gowan fails every task that's emblematic of the knightly virtues. He's a failure throughout the film. And like I have in my notes, he's a bad knight. You're right. He's not a knight yet. But at that final moment, that's piety is the last one. That wins out. Because we get that montage where he sees what a life without honor would be in that extended montage. A life, and he decides a life with
2: false honor.
1: Yeah, he decides to die to be honorably, and in this moment, I I think you could be say that he becomes a knight. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't what you guys say think. he
2: becomes a knight. I would say that he finally understands what the knightly virtues mean, because he go through that vision. He loses all five of the knightly virtues. He loses all of his friends when he becomes king. He there's no sense of generosity. He lives in a very hollow kingdom full of war. Um, Chastity, I don't really saw, I didn't really see that. It just seems like he's just, uh, you know, he he betrays Essel and takes her child. Well, that's,
1: that's, that's big. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that qualifies. I yeah. Think.
2: Uh, courtesy, piety. He fails all of these things in his vision of this life as the king. And I think it's more like he, it's a reckon like, Oh, because he, my biggest problem with this movie the whole time was the main character was Gawain. I um his character or the acting? The character. Okay. The way that they portrayed him in this movie. And it's not a huge problem. It's just I felt he was very naive and I get that that played into the the story that he's trying that David Lowry's trying to tell with this version of Gawain, but I don't know he just had this like like when he's getting taken advantage of in the in the forest, I don't. I had a part of me that wanted him to like be a like a badass, you know what I mean? And the fact that that wasn't that he just gets everything taken from him and lays in the forest is good for the story. But I just was like, oh man, I just don't want one point this guy to be a knight. Yeah, I guess it's not
1: your typical narrative at all. Like
2: I, I want him to be virtuous. I want him to do that.
1: The movie is really not telling you what's going on as well, like. Like, he'll meet people, and even though things have been taken away from him, they'll just somehow appear again. Like, there's so many little things mm-hmm. that don't precisely make sense, but you can kind of make sense. Oh, but yeah. I think will frustrate a certain audience. But for, for people like us, it's, like, amazing. You're like, yes, more things that I can think about well, this that movie, have answers. You, you just have to movie, find them.
2: Watching this movie is a lot like uh, close reading a poem you know it's uh, which is essentially what we're doing here i mean it's a movie yeah, based on reading. a poem but it's that's what it, i was saying yeah, earlier close this is like close reading a poem like every scene when you're close reading a poem you have to look at every line in a vacuum you can't think about the line that came before it or the line after it to give context it has to be every line is in a vacuum and that's almost how you have to take each chapter you know the idea of close reading of looking at each scene and seeing what the true meaning behind those words are beyond the greater context of the poem. And I think that's something that's so important to when watching this movie because this movie is ho- it's hard to tell a story like this in film. This film would be like if you tried to do the Homeric hymns. This is it, you can't it's hard to tell those stories in, in a visual medium because they're built for an oral medium. And yeah. Oh, I so agree. it's there are times with a story doesn't flow as well as I would have wanted it to, or maybe like the transitions between sometimes this, the chapters felt very like the chapter, the journey where he leave between leaving the castle and finding the kid in the battlefield. That's one chapter called the journey. And it's basically one long reverse take of him walking his horse away from the castle. And that's the chapter. And at that point I'm like, why does that title card even need to be in here? Those were my type of complaints with the movie. It had nothing really to do with structure or form. It was more like like how David Lowry decided to rewrite the story for the screen. Because that's what he did. He rewrote the entire play for cinema.
1: There's a nice little uh, there's a nice little nod to that when he's in the castle towards the end and she's like showing him all his books. And she's like, Yeah, sometimes I even uh, like I have all these books of people. Like people have told me these stories, and I copy them down. And sometimes, when I see room for improvement, I just rewrite them or something yeah, like and that. And it's,
2: it's like it's a little nod at like how oral how these stories change over time, how oral narratives just take on new meaning and new. I mean, the, the Arthurian legends in general are an entire representation of that. There's three different stories about how Arthur became king. Two different ones about how he got Excalibur, which is cool. This movie is great for Arthurian nerds because there's little things, and they never they never call the king King Arthur. They only call him King. The whole movie. he's even credited as the king. And um, yeah, they don't, nobody
1: has names except yep. uh, Arthur and Essel. I mean, and, uh, sorry, Gawain and Essel.
2: Yep. And then like Arthur hands him Excalibur. And I don't know, for me, I had such like a
0: oh,
2: he's fucking he gets to take Excalibur. Like I had such an eight year old nerd moment where I was like, he's got Excalibur, dude. Like it's so cool. Like it's like I don't know. But they never say it. They don't say Excalibur. They don't say the name. Like it's not about that. These characters. Arthur is portrayed as like at the end of his life, him and his wife are just just sunken and disheveled for years of running a country. and it's like you see that in the dark circles around their eyes and it's sunken in cheeks and the way Arthur has that rasp to him. Sean Harris again, by the way. can we just yeah. talk about how Macduff yeah, kills no. it again? like jesus yeah.
1: was he mcduff
2: yeah it was the same actor as mcduff yeah, oh, nice. sean harris as the king yeah. yeah he just had that that low that gravelly voice. scottish yeah. tone uh, he's great oh it's so good
1: alex you've been almost entirely quiet <laughs> no i
3: think yeah, i've just no, been talking to <laughs> no i've been letting you guys roll on this movie i mean i'll just say like for me at least i think the biggest plus for this movie is the way that it looks And I think that the storytelling was actually like very solid. I honestly think that maybe Lori got a little scared with like letting the audience general audiences like be too confused so maybe that's where the title card thing comes in well yeah there's
2: also the huge Um, exposition dump by uh yeah like right midway i really like that though (laughs) no it was great though no exposition dumps don't like there's a negative connotation to that that phrase exposition dump because it's usually used in a way where it's like here's all the info you need to know and like there's no context uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. There's just a, uh, the exposition dump really is done well, is what I was trying to get at.
1: That's something I wanted to point out and reading the, or in talking about the differences between the film adaptation and the original poem, the role of women was super interesting because in the original spoilers this was written in the sixth fucking century or thereabouts <laughs> and like oh i should have had this i should have written this down or like had this to point out but essentially at the end one of the major themes of the story is like it's sad that we can't just love our women without succumbing to their treacherous minds and ways and it's like damn okay <laughs> you're written in the sixth century i guess but in this movie, the role of women is very different. They seem to hold all the power and all the knowledge. Well, I mean, you have you
2: casted a, you know, Dev Patel as Gawain. I think that's a What huge does that have to do with women? It doesn't. It just has to do with how they're, they're reorganizing and restructuring the story to create oh. a, a, better, a, a better version of the narrative or a different yeah, version of it. Yeah, a narrative. very
1: different one, yes. for sure. But yeah, in the story, in the original story, uh, Morgana, Morgan, Morrigan. What's that? What's her name? The uh, the queen, the the witch in the stories. The like the, Morgan. The, Morgan. 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 Lafay. Morgan. Is it just Morgan? I think it's just Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's not. She's not Gawain's mother or anything like yeah. that. She has. I don't think she has very much to do in the narrative at all. In this one, it's it's presented in a way where we are given to believe that she creates the green knight and creates this whole adventure it's very actually like pretty solidly put to the viewer in this in this way and there's like some weird mirroring going on with the women as well because alicia Vikander plays the prostitute that gowan is in love with at the beginning and she also plays lady bertalak uh-huh yeah I mean, And it's, you're like, what the fuck is going on there? It's love of the same the, face
2: and different uh, status.
1: Yeah, you have, the, um, you have the old lady who is like some kind of witch, something going on with her that's mystical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she wears the same kind of like eye sash that Gowan's mother does when she like first casts the yeah. spell that brings him off on this journey. Like there are all these little things that I don't know exactly what to say about them. But I love that they're there because they're super interesting. <laughs> you in know pa- what I mean?
2: In paganism, women hold such a higher regard. They're usually shamans or like they lead the, the the rituals and stuff like that. And in Christianity, it is men who who lead those. So it's a juxtaposition between paganism and Christianity. She walks through her court of people, her circle, her round table, uh, of like much like the king does, but. He does it in a Christian world full of stone and wine and metal and glass, and she does it full of nature and grass and teeth and bone. And and it's, oh, just, yeah. it's this juxtaposition of paganism and Christianity.
3: I would say, yeah, like, but in Christian culture and in Christian stories, it is still, like, very common for women to be, like, witches, of course. right? Like, they might not perform the rituals. They don't perform them in, like, the the sanctity of the church or at the pulpit or anything like that but they are like the ones who
1: but which is in a purely negative sense oh 100
3: there's no like like
1: exaltation in that yeah
3: but the bones and like the more natural thing definitely and it it reminded me just a little bit of like the shaman practices in um midsummer wow how's no the uh the Korean movie we watched. Which one? I, I can't believe. Which one? Oh, whaling. <laughs> um, the whaling. Uh, the whaling. The whaling. Exactly. We need to do yes. an episode on it's that like... someday. By the way, it's so <laughs> yeah. good. That was yeah. our first. Yeah. That was
1: the first time we three got together and chatted about a movie. And I think we talked about it for like three hours.
2: Yep. Yeah. Among other things.
3: But like the feathers and yep. the crow beaks and all
2: that shit. That grounded, like, naturalistic feel that comes with that type of practice and worship. Whereas in Christianity has this disconnect. I never see God. I have to take everyone's, all these preachers and faiths and words that God is real and he cares for me. Whereas in these women have it right in front of their face. What what I'm doing is real.
1: And you guys are honing in on another thing I want to talk about, which is just the theme of nature, which is strong in here, of course. But we haven't really touched on it too much. But Jeff, you were talking about the exposition dump and that whole thing by Alicia Vikander, who by the way owns this movie whenever Mm -hmm. she's on screen. She's fantastic. Um, Is about the nature of life and death and nature and how it works. Like when you die, the moss will cover your stones and all this stuff. And this is presented in really cool visual ways throughout the movie. Like People are often very small in the frame of the camera and are just surrounded by glorious, beautiful, misty nature. There's this moment that you talked about earlier where he's he's on the ground and he's tied up after the, the kid takes his stuff. And the camera pans right. And this is just what I got out of this. I, I don't know if this is like too much, but I was thinking about it in terms of like, okay, this is like the dawning of Western storytelling, Christianity. And that's like right to left is how we sort of translate that in terms of like how we tell a story in chronology. Mm -hmm. In Japanese, it's different, you know, but it's left to right. So the camera pans right all the way around. And to me, it was going like forward in time. And we pan all the way around and then we see his dead body. He's just a skull with like a weevil. Uh And then the camera sits there for a moment and then slowly goes back. You just see the woods. You hear this amazing soundtrack in the background and it goes left. So it's like turning back the clock and then we get back to Gowan and he's back to life. And I thought that yeah. was fantastic. And there are so many little life death visuals like that. Like when Winifred's head changes from skull to skin and back again yeah. or Gowan's skin turning to moss when he eats the, the poison mushrooms. Like, Did
2: anyone read the story of St. Winifred? Do you guys, are you guys familiar with that story? No. It adds a lot of really great context to that scene. Tell us, tell us, Jeff. So the story of St. Winifred is very simple. She was a woman who was promised to a man, but she decided, and I'm telling a very abridged version, of course. Um, That's okay. Probably good. uh, Yeah. I don't want to go (laughs) into the whole, the whole poem, but essentially she was a woman who was promised to a man. She was the daughter of a great Welsh Lord. Um, You know, so she was obviously promised. She was a, you know, a bargaining tool. And she wanted to be a nun. And she decided to become a nun. And enraged by her decision, her her husband-to-be cuts her head off and tosses it away. And in the place that her head rests, a well appears. A, a spring. And um, she... Uh, She's then brought back to life. So a, 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 a knight goes, grabs the head from inside, much like Gawain did, brings it to her, reunites her with her head, and it brings her back to life. And then she sees the knight who killed her like leaning up like smugly against his sword, and the knight who saved her kills him... And then leaves the kingdom and she kind of becomes this like legendary figure and it's believed that if you go and sit at the stone, the stone that he like puts the, head, the skull on when he climbs out, that stone is actually a, a, a monument. And if you sit upon that stone and you are pure of heart and you ask the well to, uh, for, to protect you, it's guaranteed that you will receive the blessing of God like God will impart him his blessing and his protection on you. So they flipped it on its head where they took that story and they completely reversed it where you have a woman looking for her head and the knight that's supposed to reunite it is not the gallant knight that
1: No, he kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's this
2: not it's this person who is exactly the opposite. And so it's kind of
1: like He's like, what do I get out of it? She's like, why would you even ask me that? He's
2: not given God's protection from the well and of St. Winifred because he does that. Because the way he behaves in front of that well, he he is pushed, God pushes him aside.
3: See, at that point, I saw it as failure, but more as like, okay, you're really young. And like, you don't, you don't understand the codes of chivalry and things like that like you would never even utter something like but that but he should he's like, in like
2: his, a... he's like 25 and he's been I he's know, been in weird. the court for a long time like the whole point is that he should be better he everything about his he's Arthur's nephew like he he only has the ability to just take that step towards greatness and everyone is trying to push him to the point where his mother creates an entire fantastic game just so her son can understand the knightly virtues and take himself away from this brothel slumming lying. He lies to his mother right away, which is like unbelievably unchristian to
1: do. It's not very knightly. Yeah, I mean, he lie lies to, to his mother. You he lies to and
2: She's like, "Where have you been? I was at mass." Lies. Oh yeah,
1: so at church, and then she's like, "Yeah,
2: I bet you were." It sounds like you were drinking the entire sacrament. And, and I, you I smell love like that the line. Sacrament. Yeah, yeah. And it's just—it's such a funny line and such like a good point that he's—he's he's going to brothels, lying to his mother. He doesn't want to marry Essel purely because of status.
1: Yeah, she's a hooker, and he
2: sees a better, higher status version of her, and that's who he wants.
1: Metaphor.
2: Yep. It's—it's it's so metaphorical.
1: So metaphorical. I have so
2: many. I'm just
3: trying to get Um, so many notes. Hey, hey, Alex,
1: (laughs) what what did you think of the giants?
3: That actually was. I thought that part was going to throw me off because that part's big in the trailer. There's like a moment where, like, I didn't want it to get too like. How do I say this? Like too much of a novelty, or like too fantasy, like too juvenile to the point where it was going to be like, oh. We're like dancing around with like giants who have like special powers and shit like that but their reaction or like the interaction between them and Gawain were like extremely human I guess you said you mentioned the humanity aspect at the beginning of this movie um and I feel like that's like a huge theme throughout that we're just extremely frail and they lead him to that castle don't they
1: no in a it's way a, it's a weird thing because he's like he's like can i get a ride and it, it yeah. tries to grab him or crush him i'm not quite sure and then the fox warns it away Stands like no and then the giants yeah. sing for a moment and then they just walk away and then yeah okay. and then other stuff happens between that and him getting to the castle like he falls down eats the mushroom and stuff like that. Oh they yeah, yeah. so yeah,
2: okay. he's tripping but, on mushrooms during this scene, I think, is a nice uh context to put into this.
1: Um, he may or may not be, yeah, we're not sure. But but I was I was like, okay, I looked into the symbolism of giants because this was one of the scenes where I was like, What in the hell did this mean? <laughs> I have no idea. And I guess in, in mythology around this time, giants generally symbolized both nature and chaos. Mm. And so that's an interesting Ooh. point. And I also thought, like, okay. He's a bad knight. He wants to cheat. He wants to cheat by asking for a ride literally on the shoulders of giants. So I'm not exactly sure. I think I'm like somewhere in the right direction here.
2: I like that. That's a good read. I like that read a lot. that's really cool. See, I saw that. So I saw that as he is beseeching a force that is beyond his understanding and attempting to corral it or ride upon it. He's attempting to control something that he has no understanding of. Because even when they try to speak with him, it's in this muffled, deep, guttural tone that you, he can't understand. And he doesn't understand when it tries to pick him up. He reacts negatively. when, In my v- looking at this, it seemed like it was a very like benign thing that the giant was doing. It wasn't like bringing a fist down or anything. Mm-hmm. It was like gingerly trying to pick him up.
1: It wasn't the giants and the hobbit.
2: Yeah, I know. These are the these are more like a <laughs> traditional like Jotun giants, like from uh, Viking mythology. Like these yeah. are like what the Jotun looked like. They were like these just naked humanoid forms.
1: But see, that's that's I mean I, keep, I hate to keep saying this, but that's one of the cool things about this movie is like that's an equally valid, you know, interpretation. Yeah. And that's that speaks to like the fact that scholars really debate a lot of, uh, about what the, the original poem itself means. Like, we're really not sure. There's a lot of debate. And so, like, having a film that does that, while that that's, can be very frustrating for, for a lot of people who expect it to be like a fantasy movie that holds your hand and is just a fun adventure, It's more like it is more like the poem. It's a literary text that has a lot of interpretations and weirdness that you as the viewer just aren't really quite sure what is going on.
2: I, there's a couple very particular moments I'd like to talk about, but, Alex, I just really want to hear from you because originally, I mean, you were the one who recommended we watch this movie. I mean, really, you were the mm-hmm. catalyst that that drove this kind of interest. I had never even heard of The Green Knight. I've heard the story vaguely, but, like, I never even knew that they were making it. movie. You showed us the trailer. You're like, yeah.
1: hey, guys, check this shit so, out. We're like, Yes. Know, I, I want to know
2: what it, what attracts you to the story of the Green Knight that made this movie interesting enough to recommend before it was even out.
3: Well, the biggest thing is just whenever a work like this, especially you know in English, gets passed down through the years and it's anonymous, like the source is anonymous, that's always that's always like intrigued me a little bit. I mean, this one I believe is lost due to like. The failings of historical documentation and bookkeeping, right? Like, shit just happens. It gets lost. But there's other books and stories that I've read that, like, there's one written by four or five different people called The Book of Unknowings, mm-hmm. which was written by monks who all chose to, rena- like, remain anonymous. Yeah. And things like that have always interested me. And I wanted to know why now of all times with the way that movie audiences are like what what drove this guy to make this film and like why are you doing this story so i decided like once i heard that this movie was getting made i was like okay i have to see this and then when i found out that a24 was like distributing it and everything i was like okay cool Mm. so it's just an interesting, like it'd be like being like, oh, we're gonna squeeze into this box office weekend in between, you know, Free Guy and right, some other right. fucking right, movie. Right along for, oh,
1: yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. We're gonna put in a, a story that was written a thousand years ago. It's interesting you, know?
1: you say that as well because, and this ties into audience expectation. Like, this is basically. A really, really good-looking indie movie. It's like an indie art house movie that strangely got a cinematic release. Like I said, it's yeah. it's the quarter of a budget of an Adam Sandler movie and looks <laughs> millions of times better. We um, and it's like not really made for, for, for general audiences, which is probably why like people, man, I've seen some comments on the internet. Jesus Christ, I don't know why I, why I decided to go into it. It's like, <laughs> this is the worst movie I've ever seen. It's like, I say that a lot, but if you're saying that about The Green Knight, I don't, I, you should probably just stop watching movies. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. My
3: big one is, nothing happened yeah or nothing happens and i'm like what you, well i mean what the fuck are you talking we,
2: about i mean I, god damn it here we go no we don't we don't we don't we don't need to get into this hour <laughs> um, <laughs> we you know, really I, don't i just want to get into a couple of scenes that i thought were really important to the film that okay Nick move us past this yeah. sure yes. um is, my point
1: i had yeah. a point though it yes. just got sidetracked sorry um, <laughs> the point is like like this is a just a this is like a basically a low budget movie and mm-hmm. to think about it as like how did they make this now or why it's like it's really not as big of a movie as it feels like it is. Totally. I mean it's the like, movie <laughs> is what it is but in terms of like what went into it you have a basically an indie filmmaker making an indie movie it just looks fantastic. I, I'm not sure how they yeah. pulled this off for f- for 15 million. But like David Lowry's last movie I've talked about it before. It's called A Ghost Story. It's 90 minutes of Casey Affleck standing around in a robe, like in a ghost costume. (laughs) And it's like a general audience will think it is the most boringest thing they have ever, ever, ever seen. And all his movies have a better critical reception than they do an audience one because they all have that kind of tone. You know, He did a really great movie called Ain't Them Bodies Saints starring uh, Casey Affleck and stuff like that. Um, so he likes Casey Affleck, but but that that's my point is like this isn't like a hobbit movie, you know? No. This is a small yeah. movie that garnered attention and got a theatrical release.
2: This movie is high fantasy done so beautifully. Because we talked about this with in the name of the king and I got really pissed at that movie because I tried to show that fantasy can be better. Than in the name of the king, it, does, it doesn't have to be in the name of the king or Lord of the or Lord of the Rings. That's what no I'm trying way. to say it's, that's what the, the idea of high fantasy is. It's, it's either like shitty sci-fi movies or Lord of the Rings, or and there's so much in the middle. And this and high fantasy can be done in such a beautiful and like this and such a poetic way that doesn't have to be the three movie epic that Lord of the Rings is. It can or it it doesn't have to be like Black Death with Nicolas Cage.
1: Right. <laughs> it reminded me of Macbeth, the 2015 Macbeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was saying earlier right. this movie's just like so. Macbeth.
2: I mean, of yeah, course The like, Green Knight story is very is very much an allegory of Macbeth. You know, like they're they're uh, they're, they're, they're very similar or uh, Macbeth is an allegory of The Green Knight, I don't know, but right. like they're they're there's beats in these two poems that are too similar to be on like at least known of each other or or something or creative consciousness. I mean, I have no idea if this was before uh probably shakespeare. way before yeah. shakespeare. shakespeare probably yeah, even yeah. just yeah.
3: read this shakespeare was well read enough to know that Dude, i don't know like he time. would still have read this like though, there's like four romans like come on it's like they they would people that were as well read as someone like william shakespeare or at least the people that were around him would have known of a story like this it all go would go back to chaucer old english before that right like beowulf yeah then Ch- then chaucer and then this is this is before Chaucer,
2: I believe, too, actually.
3: Yeah. Um, it's around
1: the around the same time. I this believe. is written in the sixth
2: century. Sixth or seventh um, century. Fourteenth. You 14th? know, I might have really? I
1: might have been wrong because yeah. what I was thinking when I said that was that it takes place and my brain just got confused. Oh, okay. Okay. Sounds so like, yeah, was like, it, damn, was written, it was written it was written. 14th century something like that yeah, yeah. i don't
2: know it, it comes down to like this type of story is, is can be told so beautifully and it doesn't have to be like lofty high fantasy that that like is confusing or like cheesy or corny with bad cgi like the cgi fox kind of got on my nerves but uh that was really the yeah only that CGI. was the only like yeah that was the only yeah, point where i was like visually just train a fox that was the only
3: part same where i was like eh.
1: But when you look at the budget, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's just like, ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I thought it looked good. I liked the fox. Uh, ah, no, he was. And how way- it's like, maybe his mom.
2: The movements of the fox were very uncanny valley. Like
3: it was like what they were gonna do with the original Sonic.
2: Yeah, it just felt oh, weird. Before they had to it like, just, reanimate yeah, it. Yeah, it just it felt animated. The fox's movements were a little too fluid and like, and I don't know. It just he took me out of it a little bit, especially with such incredible practical effects. I mean, we watched this little clip of um the director going over the first scene of the movie and i mean he, he even talks about like they used matte paintings like who the fuck uses matte paintings in 2021 people More that, people than you would think like i don't know not and i don't really think in like a
1: big time
2: wh- tell me right now jesse what major triple a movie has used i, matte I
1: don't paint? know because i don't i don't like that's not my world I, yeah, I mean like I just I, I like I But can't this isn't Marvel. big budget is my point. It's yeah, like Marvel. F- 15 million. It's not 200 million dollars like Marvel movies are.
2: Exactly. But
1: like so
2: is are we doing matte paintings because of budgetary concerns because it didn't seem like that. It seemed like a matte no, painting. No, I think was it's because he art. really
1: likes them and he likes film, you know. He's like he likes he points out how Star Wars, the old Star Wars yeah. movies did it and he just likes that element of filmmaking more so than he does just like using a CGI background or something. Feels more tactile it's just more in his wheelhouse and uh, b- my point with Macbeth by the way uh, is is just that it's a similar thing not necessarily storytelling wise although I'm not discounting that I just I don't know w- well enough but but just to the point that it's um like a, an, a, a this epic poem that's presented in a way that's similar you know it's like you take this source material that's old and has this sort of thing going on and you kind of make it fit what you want to do. Make it kind of, like, darker and weirder and, like, just gorgeous. So it's more just, like, a comment on on the filmmaking than anything.
2: Definitely. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, I think that he...
3: Uh, it's almost as if he had, like, it just lying around. I'm talking about um, Lowry now, the director. Yeah. Um, if he was just, like, had the book lying around somewhere in this house and picked it up one day and like was like i can make a movie out of this and like jeff was saying at the beginning this idea of close reading where it's like you write down every every time you react to a line right emotionally like at the very beginning the very first reading you're just like it's just, you're just riffing off of the literature. You're not trying to find anything necessarily. You're not trying to like make any statements or arguments. You're just purely reading through it and writing how you react. For some reason, I felt like a lot of the ways that he probably emotionally react when reading this story were then made into film, which is really cool about generally just about filmmaking, you know, is that you can take your feelings when you're reading something like this line by line and just be like i want to project all of that onto the screen right now yeah um
2: interpretation is just huge like you're allowed to interpret the medium any way you want and that's so unique
1: yeah that's a thing it's yeah. an interpretation it's a uh what do they call it like not spinoff off world alternate timeline kind of thing <laughs> going yeah, alternate on. universe oh. alternate universe yeah <laughs> yep. it's like yep. it's like when people complain about the lord of the rings movies which is my absolute least favorite cinema conversation to ever have. I will not engage with you. You're (laughs) complaining about those movies. They didn't do this one thing. It's like, dude, come on. (laughs) Come on now.
3: Oh, you mean like that was in like the book? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like they didn't include this one detail. They didn't include my
2: favorite scene when he picks up the apple this way. Yeah.
1: This is our friend Jared (laughs) to a Um, (laughs) T. But anyway, the point is like, what was my point? My point is, uh, it, it, like, both versions can exist happily, that's the, and I think that's cool. Well, you know? it's,
2: it, both versions have to exist happily, because as I said earlier, you cannot put these, these poems onto film verbatim. Try doing the Iliad in a movie. Like Try a doing go- Lord
1: of the Rings. Like, in a good <laughs> it's a movie. A book but Lord is of the Rings, unfilmable.
2: But Lord of the Rings is still a full story. That makes sense. A lot of these Homeric and these early, 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 early stories, these oral legends are so difficult to put into film because they're so eclectic. They're so specific for the time that they come in and the context that they're in in that time. And to do this so masterfully, like the Green Knight, is such a testament to how someone cares so much about the source material.
1: They definitely didn't. Have it in their brains of like modern storytelling conventions or arcs, yeah. definitely not like neither did Tolkien, to be fair, but definitely not Homer, yeah. <laughs> you know, now there was a yeah. couple,
2: there was one scene I wanted to just talk about real quick was um, this idea of like him being given all of the tools he was needed to succeed and losing all of them immediately. I thought that was really interesting. He set off with like. They take the time to show that everyone's sewing his armor, and sewing his chainmail, and the sash, and pounding the gold thread into the sash, and like all of these, and he's, his face is washed by the king, and the king is God. The king is God's hand on the earth, and his face is washed by God, and he's prepared in the eyes of God. Like he's washed and anointed and oiled and he's given everything in the Christian power to help him succeed against something as uncontrollable as the force of nature. And that's something so specific to the to the plot. And he loses all of this. He loses his clothes, he loses
1: his sword,
2: he loses the axe, everything right away.
0: And it's yeah, just like they, it's so, they... he Yeah.
1: They start sure. coming back to him though in weird and weird times like the sash that she gives him near the end is the same sash. And you're like, "What?" Is it- <laughs> so I was reading about the sash in the in the poem, apparently
2: the sash is not the same sash.
1: No, because there's no inaugural sash. So yeah, the, ah, okay, there we the, go. Um, yeah, the poem varies in many ways. Like I said earlier, it's yeah, a much more. I am Gawain, I am great knight, yeah. and he he wins all the things except for the very last one. He doesn't give in to temptation. He doesn't um, get a hand job. <laughs> At least it doesn't say so. Um, the only thing he fails is in like wanting to not die. So he keeps the sash for himself and doesn't give it to Lord Bertilak. vis-a-vis their wager yeah that's the only way he fails and at the end of the green knight does three swipes misses him twice and nicks him the last time gives him a little scar because he failed in just one of the knightly virtues Mm -hmm. that's then so that's a very different very different thing and it goes into the ending of this movie which is, which is really interesting, and I wanted to ask you guys about this. So when before, before jumping into, like, what does the ending mean, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Who is the Green Knight? <laughs> because Heard what's her name? What's her name? Uh, you were telling Winifred. Says a line to him that you can very easily skip over. She says, the Green Knight is someone you know. And when he's bending down before the visions start... Yeah, and he it zooms in on the Green Knight's face. Yep, you see it shifting into all of these different faces, almost like uh, it reminded me of Mandy, weirdly, when she's looking into the cult leader's eyes, <laughs> in a very different kind of scene. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is is the Green Knight everybody? Is that the thing?
2: I think that the Green Knight in this version of the story because I've heard people say that Sir Bertacc is the Green Knight Yes in yes. The, this
1: is important to, yeah. to state for for context in the yeah. poem, it is Lord Bertilac, and he's like, because you kept your chastity, you didn't bang my wife or whatever <laughs> I'm not killing you, but it was him. It was the Lord of the castle that he spends like half of the story with.
2: Exactly. So in the in the movie though, I kind of feel like the Green Knight is the representation of all of the people that he has betrayed to get to this point. All of the, the virtues that he has failed at have being, are being flashed. You see Arthur for a minute, so he's failed his king. You see Essel, he failed his love. You see Lei, someone uh, who he failed her test. Like his mother, like it flashes through all of these faces. And I kind of feel like it's, it's just like this representation of like, you are being judged by everybody around you. Yeah, I like I, I like, like that reading. reading.
1: Yeah, Jinx.
2: <laughs> yep, motherfucker.
1: Yeah.
2: But like, I mean, <laughs> goddamn. Like, I mean, can we talk two seconds about the I mean, I know we did already, right, but the Green Knight, man. I mean, the act. And talk about
1: that costume.
2: The co- not only the act costume, but the little time that he's on the screen is so powerful. Ralph Innocent has that voice, that yeah. deep gravel voice, like he did in The Vich as the father. Yeah. You know, and it's like. That deep gravel—that's so signature of him, and it, it just works so well for the Green Knight. It had this almost. Now they flanged his voice a bit to give like a little bit oh, like of a supernatural course. tone. But not but too much. Not too much. He has this deep, guttural. You could tell it was him. Yeah, it's almost like the bowels of the earth are talking to you. Like it's like the 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 representation of everything that nature is 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 talking to you and. I don't know. I just, I love that. I love that they they made him into kind of like a, like a, like a satyr or like, you know, like a type of mythical creature instead of in the poem, he's just like a dude in green armor. Yeah. He's just a dude. Mm -hmm. He's
1: like a big dude. And so,
2: I I just, I like these, these additions that they gave. It gave the movie this, this feeling. I don't know. So to me, yeah, that, that, that's really something I just felt like was so needed. It gave it
3: like a magical realism vibe that I think is cool. Because you see in things like Pan's Labyrinth, you know, with the fawn and everything, this
2: is something. This is a way that this creature could exist. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 just really 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 beautiful. And then the other thing I want to mention is A twenty four. Again, this is could be just Lowry. I mean, he's a great cinematographer, but they do something in this movie that they did in Midsummer and that they did in Hereditary which was they spin the camera to show that the world is being turned upside down that, that 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 reality is being turned on its head they did it in midsummer when they're driving in to the mm-hmm. uh, area the camera flips and goes upside down and the car is driving on the on the what would be like the ceiling and the and everything the grass is below and then it slowly turns back to go like hey we're now in a new reality and this movie does that as well. About midway through, I think it's like right before he, or maybe it's right after the giant scene. I don't know if it's before or after, but the camera. I think does it's that. directly after that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, the camera takes this huge spin. This Man, it's gorgeous, spin. and then it, it disorients it, you. Yeah, and then it fits its back, and it's almost like we've now entered like the world of the green Knight, if that makes any sense. Like he is no longer in Camelot, which is already a fictional place.
1: Yeah. That was uh, a great yeah. shot. The yeah, filmmaking just... in general is fantastic. Um, yeah. Alex, did we, did we jump over you? I have a, I have this, I have this continuing like, like fear. Cause Alex's cadence is so much shorter or so much. Like <laughs> you have so much more pause in your cadence than us that yeah. I think like, we think you're done talking and you're not. And we just jump all over you.
3: Oh no, you guys you're good. That's fine. Okay. It has not happened recently. Okay. I kind of like the me trailing off and one of you guys picking up the rest of like my idea sometimes <laughs> right. it starts to get like too heavy
2: at the end and i'm like what the fuck am i even saying that's <laughs> <All right>. um, <laughs> so much
3: dude
1: i'm
2: like when i'm like halfway through like an expert like a spiel but, I'm but like, you'll keep what going <laughs> yeah, like, yeah i'll just finish it up like motor me. It. i'll finish it up i don't give a fuck i'm not gonna just trail off uh,
1: <laughs> so like speaking about the end here well like if you had to choose and you don't you don't have to but if you had to right I know, that's, that's wow, playing to the fucking the sidelines there. Um, that, was, that was terrible. If you had to choose like an interpretation of the ending, whether he gets his head cut off or not, what do you choose and why? Because it is left open. Did you guys see the after credit scene? I did. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. What is it? It's very short. It's just a small girl
2: sitting on the floor and she picks up the, the, the king's crown and she puts it on her head. Oh, it. so it's
1: like maybe his daughter kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, okay. it's like
2: kind of like uh well I think I think it really speaks to this whole idea that you were talking about like women holding a higher role in this movie than they would have originally held in the in the play. Is like, well maybe that is what was needed was to like root out this kind of like patriarchy and uh and start anew. Right. Yeah. Well
1: I love I love the lingering question of Gowan's death. My interpretation of it uh trying to divorce it from the fact that he's spared in the poem because that's its own mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. My interpretation was that the green knight spares him as he's learned to be a knight basically and when he says off with your head in that in that sly tone of voice he draws a symbolic line with his finger across Gowan's neck. And so it's like I don't know mm. maybe that's that's like just him saying like you've succeeded but I do know that David Lowry originally had a darker, less interpretive ending. Mm. So my other reading is like hinges on a conversation Gowan has with Bertilac about honor. How you go to this do you go do this one thing and boom, you're changed. And you get to go live this beautiful life as an honorable knight forevermore. And like in this reading where the knight does indeed decapitate Gowan, I think you see the futility. Of Gowan's philosophy, it seems to say that, like a man cannot change by one small gesture, maybe he meets death with some measure of of dignity or honor, but he still dies, and he still was who he was all the way through life, and Gowan was a pretty shit like knight I mean we've talked about he wasn't knight, but I don't know those are two ways you can take it yeah i can't
2: I can't buy into that second reading, unfortunately, or your sorry your first reading i i it, to me it's it's clear as crystal that uh that Gowan is killed. Yeah, I think he's cut oh, okay. yeah, off. I don't even think there's any room for interpretation. I do think that the final line that the Green Knight says was a little I liked Playful. your reading because it made it a little less corny to me. Like the final his final line, I was like, huh, that was a little like light for like this end
3: little to, like medieval timesy like, yeah, fantasy, it, was a, yeah like, it was a little like,
2: yeah, it was a little corny. Now off with your head. Now off with his head, you know? And so like <laughs> your reading makes that line make a lot more sense. And that's 100% like,
1: in my reading. But like, yeah. what does it do for the story in your guys' eyes if he does get his head cut off?
3: So if, yeah, go ahead, Alex, please. He's failed this whole time, right? The one time he succeeds is when he puts his head down and realizes that, wow i'm i'm a bad knight like i'm a bad person i guess i don't want to go that far and say he's like a bad person or whatever but yeah he he's he like finally accepts in that moment like okay this is what i have to do or i can live that life that i saw in the vision right (laughs) which i don't know i don't know if like they're giving him a way out or something like that but Basically, the way I see this story now that we've talked about it is throughout the Green Knight, the, the written story, you see how this man is a hero and becomes a hero, how the main character does what he needs to do. Sometimes there are journeys, I feel, that illuminate that you are a villain or that you are just not a good person. And when you come to the realization at the end, he did like the only right thing in taking X. Mm-hmm. So I do think that he got his head cut off and that he dies at the end.
1: Yeah. Okay. Jeff?
2: Yep. Man, you know, it's a big question, but I think um, really the main points to look at is that Gawain, it, we're trying to, the, the original poem, it's twofold. You know, it's telling the story of a man, like what it takes to be a good man, but also uh, how, how does a good man be good in a world that is deteriorating? And I feel like that idea was then flipped and then put into this version of Gawain's character of he's the deteriorating version of chivalry. He is what chivalry Mm. has become. Is this lofty legends the way he says when he looks amongst all the knights. No, these are men who have given their life for their country and everything they have. They're not legends. They're maybe Mm -hmm. legendary, but they're not these lofty figures that you look at them with. That is a child's view of men who have given their life for their king and so he always has this childish idea of what it means to be a knight and he fails at every turn to be a knight and at the end he turns and he puts his head down and he does the one thing that a knight is supposed to do above all that is honor your word yeah gawain gave his word that he would finish the game he would he would allow him to hit him with the second strike that is why when when he runs away in his initial vision yeah to me that's why he's cursed all yeah, that shit like, that he what? failed at before that <laughs> yeah. fuck all that yeah. he's cursed because he stood in the face of death and honor and his word and he ran yeah and that is just that is just so the opposite but of he what a didn't. knight does but he didn't right no that's he, the thing he thinks that's about him but that's the thing it. he yeah. doesn't and that is what in that moment is his yeah. one and the knight goes down and he gets on one knee and he says, I'm pr- like he shows that he's proud of him. That he, you know, he calls him brave knight. He's he, he's the only time that Gawain is referred to as a knight. He calls him
1: little knight or something like that?
2: Uh, I think I he, says, he just says brave knight. I think brave he says knight? something okay. like, uh, like, like something like along the
1: lines of good job, but not good job. David Lowry would fucking love this, by the way. I watched a bunch of interviews with him and he's just like, he seems like really genuine and excited to like see what people get out of this. I, I don't know. I think he would love this conversation.
2: Tweeted at him. But uh, no, it's just the ending. Yeah. Gawain dies because he refused to uphold the highest tenant of knighthood. Which is your word? Your word in this time is. See, yeah, I think he is, survives is
1: because he does obtain it at the end, and that's that's. But he a, doesn't. I think
2: he that's... still fails at everything. Just because you decide at the last minute that you want to go ahead, it's like um, it's like an allegory to the Christian uh, redemption and, and the and the and the redemption through the blood of Christ. Like, as long as you do what is required of you of the church, you are forgiven for all your sins. Nature. Doesn't fucking work that way. It doesn't matter. You failed all of the tasks that were brought in front of you. You may have succeeded in this one time, but that doesn't mean that nature is going to take any pity on you at all. So he, he kneels down, he commends him for being brave, and then he cuts his fucking head off because that is well, what he's supposed to do.
1: We don't know. That's a very valid reading. I think I most of the, most of the analysis that I read tended to think that he was alive um so i mean like i said I, I love that it is as interpretive as it is and that they're equally valid as long as you can you know back up your point with some kind of substance which i believe we've all done yeah <laughs> so. i mean, i think to uh yeah. to a
2: pretty heavy degree here yeah
1: man fucking great movie Yeah, but don't, it don't really watch good. it if yeah. you want if you want uh i don't know what's what's a what's a movie that what's like a dumb version of this I mean, so many things. In the name things. of the king? <laughs> go to, literally, I was gonna go say, on to
2: Netflix's fantasy section.
3: Imagine, and there you right. go. imagine Michael Douglas' character from falling down, going on this journey <laughs> instead. I'd watch that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Pretty know. amazing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> What kind of people just rob someone? Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, what kind of people just take someone's <laughs> axe? I mean, this is America. I pay my taxes. You take my axe. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, Jesus Christ. All Good right. shit. Well, yeah, watch Green The Green
1: Knight. you want to, If you want a beautiful movie that's intelligent, but you kind of have to work at it, I would say watch it. Um, maybe maybe not if you want it to just be spoon fed to you. Yeah,
2: watch it like surround sound, high yeah. fidelity, or on some like dank headphones. Exactly. Maybe subtitles will help if you have a hard time with movies dense like this. Um, yeah. yeah. And
1: like I said, I watched it twice and was just as enamored the second time, if not more so. Just like seeing all the all these little elements that I failed to see. There's so many little symbols going on in the frame where you're like oh what's that you want to pause it and check it out oh yeah, the yeah. Con- where else does this show up i mean we, like there are so much- there are so many other things in yes. this movie by the way that we have not talked about i was just, just like- about to say the
2: costumes bro i mean we couldn't even go into just the costumes or oh, i just meant incredible. like like
1: weird metaphors oh and sure like, like how characters are echoes of each other and oh yeah there's, there's gonna so be so much
2: many- if people actually commented on our videos there would be many comments like like oh well actually you missed this and this line <laughs> which please comment below if we missed anything i'd love to debate this movie and interpretations of it if you have a different interpretation of it let us know and i would love to like talk about it
3: yeah if you think it sucked especially
2: oh dude yeah if you think it sucked please <laughs> yeah, comment please, that it
1: please sucks leave a message that just doesn't say anything except this is the worst movie i've ever seen just yeah. say that and um, yeah i will respect you <laughs> <laughs> i will so. all right well yeah before we wrap up before we wrap up today we got any um not even recommendations but things we watched hmm. what do we got
2: i'm gonna pass this off to you two media nerds
1: yeah well okay speaking <laughs> of to, to tie it back to the beginning of the podcast was talking about a zombie movie with bill murray in it I watched another zombie movie with Bill Murray in it that I liked way, (laughs) way more. It's called uh, The Dead Don't Die. came out 2020, directed by Jim Jarmusch, and it stars Bill Murray and Adam Driver. And they're like small town cops who have to deal with a zombie apocalypse kind of deal. And the movie is so boring and dry, like boring in in a great way where it's like super flat. You know, the line deliveries are really flat. It has this really curious energy to it to where I was giggling the entire time. And it's, it's a very specific tone. Like I say, it's, it's super understated and comedic in like a weird sense. It's definitely not the high energy kind of bluh comedy you get in something like Zombieland. It's much more dry than that um and it's a movie that general audiences for one did not like which is not surprising um but critics also didn't seem to like it too much either and i do see a lot of flaws in it which i won't get into for the sake of brevity but i was giggling the entire time and i think if you like our podcast you you would probably think it's pretty funny and i recommend it
2: yeah i definitely want to check that out can you see the director's name one more time
1: Jim Jarmusch.
2: Okay, Jar Jar Binks. Sure. Okay. Fucking. Yeah.
0: What the fucking name is that? Change it, bro. Just change
2: it. He's a pretty crazy looking
3: dude.
0: I mean, was I
1: name like Jarmusch?
2: Yeah, you probably are pretty
3: crazy. He's
1: a crazy filmmaker. He made another really great movie called Dead Man with Johnny Depp. Ninety-five. Oh, he did that. Yeah, he that? did that. He does a lot of weird movies. Oh. He did Only Lovers Left Alive, sort of vampire movie that came out a few years ago.
2: Hmm. I've heard. never heard of none of these. Um.
1: Yeah, check him out as a director as well. He's interesting.
2: Well,
3: you know, I've seen this movie plenty (laughs) of times that I'm about to recommend. And it just was on TV the other day while I was actually flipping through, like, normal cable. What the
1: fuck kind of grandpa are you? Dude, I know. (laughs) I
3: know. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Like
2: You're literally speaking Japanese right now, dude. I watch Jeopardy, so I record it every night. So,
0: Shut up, or, bro, dude, I mean, come Jeopardy. on! <laughs> <laughs> just like,
2: so, just get the hearing
0: aid already. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jesus, all right, sorry. That was a, that also, was a
3: joke, wanna, right? I want to plug Werther's Originals caramels. They're <laughs> amazing. Mm-hmm. Um Not sponsored. No, Hashtag not joke. sponsored. It wasn't
2: a joke. No, dude, this dude records Jeopardy. I heard the sincerity in his voice. What the fuck? So okay. weird! You're such a weird human, dude. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I watched Milk. Oh, which is yeah, a dude. movie by Gus Van Sant. Yeah, Milk's amazing. Movie. I hadn't watched it in a long
2: time.
1: I haven't seen Milk. I know what it is, though. What? what? Yeah, I know. Skin. I haven't seen it.
2: I mean, just as I mean, I mean, please do yourself a favor.
1: Yeah, Sean Penn is <laughs> gay mayor kind of thing. Sean yeah. Penn.
3: Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he's, he's, like a he's city Harvey Milk. Councilman. Yeah. Yes. The first openly gay politician, I believe, in the United States. Yeah. Um, It's a great movie. The cast is really good. I mean, Sean Penn won an Oscar for it, so I don't need to tell you about his acting performance. Uh, James Franco's in it. Trigger warning, if anyone.
1: Oh, yeah. He's getting canceled big time right now. Is he? I didn't know that. He's fucking out, dude. He's out. He's done. He is toast. <laughs> he's done. Oh shit. <laughs>
3: but yeah. It's a beautiful movie. I think Gus Van Den is one of the better directors mm-hmm. out there. Um, I like his stuff, so
2: I love him in uh he, uh... Did, he did that cameo in Jane Silent Bob that was amazing. <laughs>
1: Gus is this
2: is this all right, Gus? And he's just like counting money. And he just looks up and he's like, yeah. yeah. And he just like waves them away with a handful of money. Yeah. <laughs>
1: He made one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Well, well, you know, in a sense, but it's called Jerry with a G, and it just has Casey Affleck and Matt Damon roaming around in a desert for an hour and a half, and it's like incredibly boring, <laughs> but somehow really compelling. Yeah,
3: he's good at that stuff, right? And like, I don't know, like Paris, Texas, I could have seen him making a movie like that. Like, he he just, I don't His know. His
1: most famous one is like Goodwill Hunting, right?
3: Yeah, that one, and probably, I mean, Last Days is Oh, big. that's
1: the, um, the, uh...
3: My Own Private Idaho.
1: Last Days is the the thing about Kurt Cobain's, like, last couple days. Yeah. That's an interesting movie, yeah. I don't know how yeah. popular it is, but I, I do like that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Finding Forrester. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Jefferson, anyway. Jefferson. Jefferson Twilight <laughs> Vampire Hunter. You got one?
2: Um, I think... All right. Quick little sidebar. Did I talk about the Matrix last
1: episode? No. Okay. No. You told me you were going to on this one. (laughs) Okay. Great. Okay.
2: Awesome. I'm losing my mind. All right. And action. So yeah, I um I've been rewatching the Matrix trilogy actually, um in preparation for our eventual coverage of the just announced and freshly trailered Matrix Four that we've all known is going to
1: be coming mm-hmm. out for a while. We'll, we'll definitely do that one. So
2: we'll definitely cover that one regardless of how good or potentially horrible it is yeah. um, <laughs> leading towards the latter. Um, but yeah, I've been rewatching the original Matrix movies. Um, I just finished the last one, the third one, um, I think like this morning or something. I don't know. All the days blend together nowadays. But, um, but yeah, I mean... It's a yeah, it's 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 a fantastic universe when you delve into the lore that the animated world like animatrix and everything um created for it. Yes. The lore of the Matrix is is just great once you have all the context where all the agents come from, the bigger picture behind Zion and all that. But as films go Jesus Christ, dude! Like the second and third one could yeah. not be more fucking annoying yeah, and just pedantic. Weird. And like, why with this horribly forced love story? Like, it feels so forced. They, they don't feel like real people, Trinity and Neo. Like, they don't feel like two people who are actually in love. They feel like a very movie. Like, oh God, look, we're just so fucking passionate, and just, we just all we want to do is just touch each other. And it's just like,
0: God. <laughs>
2: I don't. I, I, mean, just, I, I feel ugh. that
1: way about Alex most of the time. I don't know. Just I
2: mean, there's. But but then I will say that the second and third ones, if you removed the, the shit-ass ham-fisted love story from The Matrix entirely, I, even the first one, don't care. Um, it, you have some really great themes in the second and third movies that just don't get to shine because of how just god awful. The storytelling. I mean, the Merovingian, the idea that he is like this. I don't know. It just it, there's so many great ideas about the first and second iteration, the Nightmare Matrix, where all monsters that we talk about in mythology come from, and all that kind of cool stuff. Like that, just that got left to the wayside or just slightly mentioned because we just had to like show Keanu so- Reeves kissing <laughs> this actress again. Sorry,
1: Jeff, I love I love this difference between us because like you and I are complete opposite in. The fact that like you're this lore nerd, you're like, but they get so much better if you look at the thing, and I'm like, no, just it's it's like it, the movie is its thing, and that's what it is, <laughs> and, well, that, and it's terrible. I just, I just like can't. I don't get me wrong. I love the first one. The second one has a few interesting things. The third one is fucking dog shit. It, but yeah, <laughs>
2: I'm yeah, I love lore. I love the world. Like if you give me a good world, I can forgive bad interpretations I like
1: lore in games i like lore that's presented in the movies but i'm not gonna like go out and read star see, Wars. see i'm a novels. wiki hound like you know I, I mean? that's how i go to
2: bed like i go to bed every night i pick a different lore that i love and i just dive into its wiki and, and look up all the characters and all the backstories and then that's how i go to bed every night so it's like yeah that's the you matrix. gotta write
1: some shit man write your own lore verse i write, loreverse.
2: I write i have a i have an entire dwarven culture that has a full re, fully realized language
1: you do you gotta write some stories based on that shit yeah
2: nah. uh, nothing i write is is not as worth anything like that um
1: any kind of time invested hey that was unprofessional who had their phone going
2: me um yep that was 100% me <laughs> <laughs> i was just sad I, I was i was tone. figuring I we were gonna edit out like, this forever. whole kind of like self fucking hatred section of the podcast anyway <laughs> no um it's uh, yeah <laughs> it be so, a long
1: one it's like an hour and 40 <laughs> yeah
2: anyway the i've been watching the matrix movies in preparation do i recommend them fuck no but i mean that's what i was watching so yeah. there you go watch
1: the first one just pretend I guess I guess I don't know don't don't fantastic
2: like but but don't because you know the other ones exist you know and it's just like
1: fine you can pretend that they don't I guess it just feels like a story half finished I don't know Oh, uh, we'll leave. We'll leave it there. I don't, I don't, well, it's we'll, a whole. We
2: won't just leave it there. We'll bring it back for when the we'll Matrix Four back. happens.
1: Right? Oh my god! <laughs> It'll be a, um, like three can hours. I just,
2: one last little Green Night thing. I'm looking through the IMDb and like under storyline. There's all the tags that people give the movie to like help with the search. And one of the tags is gay kiss, which I
0: just fucking <laughs> love so much.
2: That one oh, man on awesome. man. There's one man on man kiss, and it's on the
1: cheek. In the whole movie. No, he kisses him on the mouth.
2: And somebody has to be like, oh, I gotta make sure people know there's a gay kiss in this.
0: Jesus
2: That's fucking hilarious.
1: Anywho. Let's wrap it. We're wrapping it. We'll be back. We'll be back to talk about uh, Amadeus. Yeah,
2: that's
3: right.
1: Amadeus. Amadeus.
2: Speaking of music.
1: Uh, More high level
2: lofty art shit. Get ready.
1: Composers. And then I'll bring it down for the next one. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> I don't know so I don't know excited. what I'll do I don't know what I'm going to do I really don't uh, It might be it might be more, like maybe more ly- lofty artistic bullshit we'll It's been a, while. been a while <laughs> Alright we're out of here Fucking peace <laughs> Now our podcast is done And we have to run We know it is sad But we had so much fun Don't be bereft Jesse, Alex, and Jeff We'll be back real soon, the real weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long.